right, Mark 9, and uh, we got down through verse 32 last time. So we're going to pick up in 33, and we're going to go all the way through to the end of the chapter in one big move because of the flow of thought again. And then next week we won't be here, and the following week we'll come back, we'll come in and get some of the, the, the uh, details because this passage in Mark 9, especially when you get down in 42 to 50, you start talking about hell and the lake of fire and Gehenna and different things. And we're not going to get all that tonight. I'm going to tell you that right now. We will, when we, talk, we will talk about the salt and everything. And, but when you get in talking about these different things, then I want to spend some time with them. So Mark 9, uh, verse, uh, well, let's just um, read verse 30. And uh, because it's uh, going to get connected with what's following here in verse 33 and so forth. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? So there's some things that are happening as they're traveling that is going to bring up a lot of uh, a, a big argument amongst them. And again, we have to remember the flow of thought here as we're coming into this because it's all connected. It starts there in, in verse 31 of chapter 8. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. Now I read that part because he begins to teach them about his, he's got to go to Jerusalem to die, but also about him being rejected. There's kind of two things there because in a minute he's going to ask them, hey, Verse 34, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up the cross. The cross there is the issue of rejection and death. 834 is where I was just reading. Okay? And then, then you're going to follow me. So there's some things happening here. So he openly, clearly, plainly can't miss it. He actually literally lobs it right across the plate for them to hit it out they can't say no we didn't get that but we didn't what was he saying we didn't understand it wasn't a parable it was clearly stated 832 and peter took him and began to rebuke him and that's the response verse 33 and when he had turned about and looked on his disciples he rebuked peter saying now this is critical get thee behind me satan Actually, this is the part that's critical. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. He, Peter rebukes him. Not so. Ain't going to happen, Lord. Ain't going to let it happen. Then he turns and he rebukes Peter. And he says, Peter, you're not thinking about this the way God would think about this. You're thinking about it like Satan would think about it. You're thinking about it like man would think about it. You, we have human viewpoint going on here not divine view, uh, viewpoint. 
He just gave them clear instruction about what's going to happen. What's going to happen? Death, burial, and resurrection, the rejection, all of that's got to take place. This is new information to them, but really there's more going on here than they've never taught. You know, we use this to demonstrate the dispensational issues between body of Christ and Israel that the Israel didn't know and didn't preach and teach the death, burial, and resurrection. But there's more going on than that than just that distinction. Verse 34, And when he had called the people unto him and his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You guys have to be willing. You have to, you have to freely join in my rejection. You gotta take, you gotta deny yourself. Verse 35. For whosoever will save his life will lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my, notice, words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in glory in the glory of his Father with, his, with the holy angels. In other words, th what's required here? You're going to deny yourself. Quit thinking like a man thinks. Think like God thinks. Pick up the cross of rejection. That's the cross here. They, they can die, but they're not going to die, be buried, and rise, rise again the third day. Okay? So pick up the cross of rejection, and then what? Follow me. Then in verse 1 and 2 and following, he takes Peter, James, and John, pulls them up on the Mount Transfiguration, demonstrates to them. They see him receive the nobleman go off and receive the kingdom. They see him receive the kingdom. That's literally what Moses and Elijah and him are talking about. Then in verse 14, what does he do? He comes down. He finds the... The disciples, verse 19, as, oh, faithless generation, the disciples can't, uh, can't liberate this picture of this child from the satanic grasp. See the flow. <laughs> hey, I've got to go do this. Got to go to Jerusalem, be rejected, death, burial, and resurrection. You guys are not thinking properly. You're thinking like man thinks. You got to think, savor the things God would think. Then here's what Calvary, here's what the kingdom coming, here's what the kingdom glory looks like. But why can't we cast the guy out? Verse 28. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And we spent last time going through what was happening in that satanic captivity. Why couldn't we do it? Now, the Lord just healed the guy. Again, a picture of him delivering them, his second coming and, and the deliverance and everything. Why couldn't we cast them out? Well, verse 29, and he said unto them, this kind, what kind? The, the complete and total satanic captivity that Israel sits in can't be cast out unless it's by Prayer and fasting. Now, the prayer and fasting, that fasting issue, 
pulls us back to Matthew 9. When the bridegroom's there, we don't fast. When he's gone, we mourn and fast. Now he's gone. So they couldn't do this because they weren't thinking right. They weren't staying current with the progressive revelation. They're, they're, they weren't staying up with the program. They also weren't participating in his rejection. If they're not staying up with his death, burial, and resurrection, then they're not staying up with his rejection because that's what 831 says. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of, and then killed and buried and rose, rise the third day. You see, there's a hope. So then in verse 30, what it, and they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it, for he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered. Notice, is delivered. It hasn't happened in time, but in God's mind, it's already happened. And that's really the way God, the way proper divine thinking is, even for us today. I've been working on my message for next Wednesday night at the meeting, and the title of it, they asked me for a title, I'm like, okay, real living. Well, it's going to come out of Romans 4 and verse 17 there about how God, we ought to be thinking the way God thinks. That's real living. See, and how does he think? He is what? The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. It's an already done deal, even though in reality it hadn't happened yet. In God's mind, what it, it's done. And they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood. He, he immediately, after, so after all of this, 831, chapter 9, all, he brings them immediately back to the point of his rejection. He brings them back to 831. And the reason that they don't understand it and the reason that they're afraid to ask, verse 32 is now what the rest of the chapter is about, 33 to 50. Okay? So why, why didn't they understand this? Why are they arguing about Why are they afraid to ask him what's going on? And so verse 33, and he came to Capernaum. Now Capernaum has basically become the headquarters of the earthly ministry of the Lord at this point. And he asked them, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? What are you guys arguing about? So along the way, they leave Galilee. They're on their way to Capernaum. Along the way, a, great, a big argument apparently takes off. And the Lord, basically, he just... Now, the Lord knows what they were arguing about, but accountability, responsibility, a teaching moment. What are you guys arguing about? And if you've been around children any time and they get in arguments, that's usually what you do. What are you arguing about? And that's what he does, verse 34. But they held their peace. <laughs> For by the way they had disputed among themselves... Now watch, who should be the greatest? They're arguing about who's to be the greatest. But when he asks them, they don't answer. They hold their peace. Okay? Now, think about what's just happened here. 
come over to Luke 9. They, he just took Peter, James, and John apart and on their own. So the Lord evidently has marked these three guys as being special. They're arguing about, hey, who's the greatest here? You just took Peter, James, and John up there on the mount. You left us down here. So are they the great ones? What? So they're, they're, not, they're not thinking properly. He knows what's going on. He understands them. They tried to hide it, but it doesn't work because what's the argument about? Who's the greatest? Now, look in Luke 9, same event. Look at verse 46. And again, notice how Luke says this here. Luke 9, 46. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. See how Luke says it? Jesus what? Perceived the thoughts. He knows what's going on. He understands what's happened. So when you come back to Mark 9, verse 34, when they hold their peace... And they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. This is a flesh issue. This is just their flesh. Why can't they get along? Why can't they? They're not thinking the way God would be thinking about this. They're not savoring the things of God. They're savoring the things of men. There's an issue of pride here. And the flesh is in the way. And Darby had a comment about it. I had heard Dad a couple years ago in this passage, and I will never get Darby's quote right, so I just know he said this to a degree. The flesh gets in the way and hinders the thoughts of faith, being able to believe what God says. Their flesh has gotten in the way of them having understanding about what God is telling them. And it's the same for you and I. When the Lord, when the Lord tells them he's going to go to the cross, he's going to lay down his life, he's going to lose it so, and in order to save others, he's going to do all of this, they're arguing about who the greatest is going to be. They're not in the proper mindset. So why can't they understand, verse 32, why are they why are they because they're not thinking properly that's the reason come over to Matthew 18 watch Matthew talk about it and watch him do it this way Matthew 18 verse 1 again it it says it differently which usually indicates somebody's going to say well there's a contradiction so the bible's wrong No, actually one way amplifies the other ways so you understand, better understand what's transpiring. Matthew 18, 1. At this time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. It's not how Mark and Luke said it at all. In Mark and Luke, there's an argument going on amongst them. See? Christ calls them on the carpet here. Here in Matthew, they come to Christ and say, okay, what do you say? Now, you think about this. They're arguing about it. 
He calls them on the carpet, and what do they do? Okay, tell us then who's the greatest in the kingdom. See? They're arguing. He says, boys, what are you arguing about? And they say, fine, you just tell us who the greatest is. That's what Matthew's doing. Matthew has no arguing, none of that. So when you come back to Mark 9, they're they're arguing, Christ calls them on it, and then he's going to settle it, is what's happening. Verse 35, Mark 9, 35. And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. Now, before we move on, he sets them down. Now, this isn't the only time he set them down around the table. They're still arguing in Mark 9. And he says, okay, I'll settle the question. And here's, here's the, they had gotten all worked up. Again, they saw Peter and James and John get taken away up there. They were special cases. They, so, you know, pride, flesh gets in there. The conflict is on. So what does he say? I'm going to, you know what? The first is going to be what? Last. And, you're, and the, first, the first guy in, he's going to be the last, and he's going to be the servant of all. Now, you think about that. Um, I have written down here by that verse, Jeremiah 45, 5. And it's really 45, 5a, first part of that verse, where he, a message to Barak here, he says, And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. And that's the case. The verse 5 goes on, For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord. But thy life will I give unto thee, for I pray in all the places where thou go. Seek thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. And that's literally what the Lord is doing here with the disciples. He's going to answer them. And he's going to answer them all the way down now to verse 50 here about here's the answer. He took a child. He set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. So we'll, we'll, get, that, we'll, we'll get into that here in just a minute. He, the, the focus, the issue, verse 32, why aren't they understanding it? That's the focus here in this rest of this passage, what's happening. Now, come over to 1 Peter chapter 1, passage we've seen before. In, the, in, in Israel's program, there is a progressive revelation given to them in connection to the cross. They are not catching that progressive revelation. 1 Peter 1 Look at verse 9, having the, uh, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvations the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that shall come unto you. The grace there, if down in verse 13, 
Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a grace that's coming to them. It's going to be at his second coming. So we're not talking about the dispensation of grace, because that's right now. We're talking about really the grace of the new covenant when you get into it. But that's what Zechariah 12, Jeremiah 31, John 1, all are talking about. Uh, you know, the law was till John, and then grace and truth by, by the Savior, by Jesus there. So there's a grace that the prophets have been talking about that's going to be accomplished. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So what are the prophets doing? They're talking about two things. They're talking about what and when. They are searching what. What is, this, what is the sufferings of Christ and what is the glory that should follow? What is it? And then, or what manner of time? When the Spirit of Christ, well, okay, what is it, and when is the sufferings going to happen, and when is the glory going to come? You see, they're digging, they want to dig into this. What is this about, and when will this happen? The what and the when. Verse 12, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us that did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them, that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, there's Acts 2, day of Pentecost, which things the angels desired to look into. So what do we have? We have a progressive revelation here. You take Isaiah 53, take Psalms 22. Psalms 22 is a great example of this. Why? Because the first half, here's the sufferings of Christ, Calvary. The back half, here's the glory. When is this going to happen? What is this? suffering thing when is it going to happen so what psalms 22 david lays it out isaiah picks some of it up ezekiel picks some of it up daniel picks up some of it and he they there's this progression now and there's this in there's there's a ton of information in the scripture about the suffering and the glory it was written down but it was not understood until when? Until, well, Luke 24, come over to Luke 24, until after the resurrection. Luke 24, Jesus Christ, now let's back up a little bit where we're at in Mark 8, 31, Mark 9. What is Jesus doing to them? He's beginning to explain it to them. They're not getting it, they're not understanding, but what are they missing? They're missing the progression of the revelation. They're, they're, they're not quite getting it. He's beginning. I begin to tell you, I got to be rejected. I got to go to Jerusalem, suffer, and die. I said it openly, plainly. No, there was no, well, when he said die, did it really mean cease to exist? Or did it, no, all that stupidity stuff. It wasn't any of that. It was clear, plain, and concise. Luke 24, 44. So we're after the resurrection, right? Yes, thank you. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, 
that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So all of that progressive revelation now, verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture. All that stuff back there I told you about, that progressive of revelation, now you get it. Now they understand. Prior to it, <laughs> sorry, oh, makes lovely audio, I know. Prior, prior to this, they don't get it. 932, they're not getting it. They don't understand it. They're afraid to ask. Now, after the resurrection, he opens their understanding, and they're beginning to understand, really, the spiritual issues here. They're beginning to understand the spiritual side of what's transpiring. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you've ever wondered why Peter in Acts 1 can pull an obscure passage out of Psalms and say it's talking about Judas' office, his bishopric. You go back and read that psalm, you, there's, no, there's no Judas in there, the name Judas. You go, how in the world? Is, how? Well, what, what's happened? That progressive revelation, the Lord has what? Opened their understanding. You go over to Acts 2, and, and, and Peter's preaching, and he's pulling stuff out of the psalms and all over the Old Testament, and everybody's like, whoa, dude, slow down, you know? And how is he doing that? Well, because their understanding has been opened. Paul to you and I, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So now, the progressive revelation of the cross Ecclesiastes calls it the silver cord. It's been coming through. He gets over here. The Lord starts telling them about it. They still don't get it. He dies. He's buried. Third day, he's, he, he rises again. He then goes in, opens their understanding up to the moment. But there's still some hidden wisdom over here. Now, Paul gets a... He gets a capstone of the the end of the progressive revelation and he says you know what if satan and the adversary and his cohorts knew about this they would not have with such gusto went and killed christ why because now here's the meaning of it all before it's just the event's going to happen here it's going to happen now paul comes in and says here's what it means now watch verse 9 but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. That's written in light of the re progressive revelation. Verse 9 sits in the context of verse 7 and 8. The meaning of the cross is now being revealed. Verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searches all things yea the deep things of god now right now we have the depth of the revelation 
of what God had purposed and planned to do through the cross work of Christ. We have that, that fullness of the information, Ephesians 1.18, that your eyes being enlightened, we have it. There's no more waiting over here. Okay, they got it. Dump more on them. We've got it all. So when you come back to Mark 9, the issue here is progressive revelation. What's he got to do? Messiah's got to go suffer, and then his glory. It's not all fully revealed yet. All the details not there yet. They're not getting it, and the reason they're not getting it is because they're, they're worried about things that men would worry about, and they're not worried about the things of God. They're over here. They're, they're 833 all day long. They're savoring the things of men and not the things of God. And that's why they don't, that's why they don't understand. That's why they're not moving. That's why they won't be able to heal. They, actually, we're going to see them get mad here in just a minute about some people do, that are healing. They're, they're going, they have to deal with, he's, the Lord is dealing with his apostles in, in how they have to deal with the issue of their fleshly thinking. They're focusing in on who's the greatest. They're wanting to be exalted in their flesh, and he's exposing them. He's saying, you know what you're thinking? You're, th- you're thinking like, man, you're, you're operating under human viewpoint. And you need to be operating under divine viewpoint. Verse 35. And he sat down. So watch what he does here. He sat down with the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first. See that any man desire. That's a fleshly thing here. To be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Now, the principle here, first, he's really, to be first is the quickest way to be last. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Talladega Nights, I just had a Ricky Bobby. What's second place? First loser. <laughs> And that's literally what's happening here. Now, get the principle here, how they should have been operating. Go back to chapter 8 and look at verse 34. Because they're not operating. So he just told 831, I'm going to go die. You guys are saying, Peter rebukes him. He rebukes Peter, says, listen, you're not thinking the way God would think about this. You're thinking away your your, human viewpoint. Verse 34, notice, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, so there's some, there's some steps here in the principle. First, what does he got to do? He has to deny himself. Then he's got to take, take up the cross, the willingness to be rejected. Then he's going to go follow me. That's the principle. That's the principle he's now going to apply in Mark 9. By the way, if you look at verse 35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. What are we going to do? 
You're going to deny. You're, you're willing to lose your life for my sake. And what's going to happen? You're going to, you'll, you'll be good to go. You're following me. So what's he going to do here? Well, nine, go back to Mark 9 now. He's going to work the principle out for them because they're not thinking properly. Verse 36, and he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Now think about a child. A child doesn't care about being first. Now when they get to teenage years, they do. Okay? That's why in the Bible, teenage, there is no teenage years. It's children and then adults, okay? But what does a child think? How does a child think about this? They just exist. They don't think about anybody else. You've got to teach a child to share and to be considerate of others. Here, so they, they're naturally what? Existing. That's all they're doing. They, so when you receive someone like you would receive this child, you're doing it what? You're, and you're doing it in my name, authority. You didn't just receive me. You received the will of the Father. You're doing, some, you're doing the will of the one who sent me, the Father. So there's an illustration used here. And the illustration is, is you're going to run into someone. You're to receive them like, the, like you would receive this child innocently no are they going to be the greater than me no pre you're just to receive them in my name for who they are now watch verse 38 because john's going to jump in here verse 38 39 and 40 uh, 41 is kind of a parenthesis into this okay 38 and john answered him saying by the way you ought to pay attention sometime to how these guys talk. Peter, Peter jumps in without thinking about what he's going to say, and if he'd have just waited five minutes, everything would have been all right, but he doesn't. John sits there, and he actually waits. He's the more spiritually sensitive to what's going on. It's John in the upper room that says, when all the guys are saying, is it me, Lord? It's not I. Is it? He says, Lord, who is it? He doesn't, he, he's not worried about him being the one that is going to violate it. It's what's going on. Here, John. Now, John's not going to argue. He's not arguing here. He says, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him because he followeth not us. John, you know what he said? We got a problem here, Lord. We're not doing what you just said we're to do, which is to what? Receive anyone in my name as children. We saw this guy doing our healing ministry. He's not part of our group. He did it in your name. He's, out, he's casting out devils in thy name, but he didn't follow us. He's not a part of our you know, entourage here, and we told him to stop. 
We forbade him. We said, knock it off. What are you doing? Now, there's a little jealousy in that, not so much by John, but by the others, because what? They couldn't heal the kid earlier in the chapter, and now they come up against some people over here who are able to do that, and they're like, wait a minute, we can't do that. That's why, verse 38, John speaks up. We got a problem, Lord. You're telling us how we ought to be interacting with everybody over here. And, you know, the, argue, the great argument is about who's the greatest. Why? Because we can't cast out devils. And we've seen these people over here casting out devils. So are they greater than us? You, you can, I hope you can see the, the discussion, the arguing. And the Lord's like, no, don't. You're, you're not looking at it the way God looks at it. Look at it the way, how would you receive this child in my name? That's how you received them. So what does he say? Verse 39, but Jesus said, forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not, for he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Notice what's going on there. The Lord says, no, don't forbid them. Don't, they're not against us. He can't, if, if he's going to speak evil against me, then it, that'll be a pure, clearly event we, we know about. But you're telling me these guys are casting out devils in my name and they're doing this, then they are, they're on our side. Don't just, just because they're not traveling in our group doesn't mean they're not doing what needs to be done. The issue here is, the issue that what John really brings up is, we got on these guys because they weren't following us. They're not part of our group. Schofield's got to note the rebuke of sectarianism at the top, and that's what he's talking about. They're not, they've invaded our casting out the devil's area. Now, we can't do it because we're not, you know, they're doing it, but we told them to knock it off, to stop doing that. And, and the Lord just, he, he goes, no, what are they doing? Because you belong to who? To Christ. They are following Christ. Don't, don't have, John, no, don't have that pride of place, sectarianism, that's what that is. Who's going to be greatest? We were there, we thought we were there. Now, think about, he's, he's going to tell them, you're, gonna, you're the 12, sitting on the 12 thrones, judging the 12, you guys are the guys. But yet, what is, because they're not thinking properly, they just went over the edge. Now think about what is happening here. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Christ is rebuking them. For he, that is, verse 40, for he that is not against us is on our you don't have to be a part of a certain group to follow Christ. 
And that's exactly what's going on with the apostles. Now, think about this. Christ is, he tells the Pharisees, I'm taking the kingdom from you, and I'm giving it to the little flock. Who are the little flock? Are they the regular people, or are they irregular? They're irregular. They're publicans and sinners. They're not the organized group that's going to lead the nation. Here, he just put his disciples on the spot. You guys have been set apart to lead the nation. So why would you be mad at a group of people who are not a part of you when you're not a part of that leadership group that I just give the kingdom to? Because what are they? They're thinking like the flesh would have them to think. He tells them that the unattached workers over there that are doing, they're okay. And because you're unattached as well, guys, because you're not a part of that leadership group whose job it is to run the nation, but yet you are going to be that. But what's the key? You belong to Christ. They're attached to me. You're attached to me. So then guess what? It's okay. Now, this issue here, by the way, helps understand why in the book of Acts, Acts 18, Acts 19, Paul runs across some folks who, are on, who follow, only follow John the Baptist. They know nothing about the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. They know nothing. And people go, oh, how can that be? Well, what are they out there doing? They're out there doing what John the Baptist had told. They're, no, they're not out there doing something wrong. They're out there operating in the information that they have. They're out, they're out of the flow of information. And that's why Ananias uh, and Sapphira, I'm sorry, uh, not Ananias and Sapphira, Aquila and Priscilla have to bring Apollos up to date. That's why there's some of that. Why? Because they're out doing and they're out of that flow of information. So the Lord here, verse 39 and 40, they're out there doing it in my name. Why? Because they're connected to me. The arguing that's going on is based upon their fleshly mind, their fleshly thinking. They're, now think about this. They've left Galilee. They're on their way to Capernaum, they evidently run into people casting out the devils along the way. That sparks the argument of who is the greatest. And, you know, the Lord's just walking along. He understands it. He perceives what's going on. So when they get to home base, Capernaum, he says, now what were you guys arguing out there about? And they say, well, we just you, you tell us who the greatest is going to be in the kingdom and he says, listen, guys, it isn't about that. First is going to be last, and last will be first. And you're, The issue is service here, and you know that. But what happens is, is, think about how you receive this child. You don't receive him with a, you're low body. You receive him as what? A child, innocent here. 
And that's how you're going to receive anyone out doing work in my name. We came, I could just see the Lord. You know, we saw that group of guys over there. They're casting out devils. And they're not a part, they weren't in our entourage. They were out doing what the message was. They caught it, they're out doing. Evidently, they got the power to do it. So it came from somewhere. And you guys are all upset up here because you're worried about who's going to beat you out. You follow that? Now in verse 42. And whosoever shall offend. Because now what we're going to do is we're going to come over here and he's going to say, you got to get that fleshly thinking out of your thought process. Now watch what he does. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones. See that little ones? That's a pullback to verse 36 and 37 about the child. So verse 38, the 41 is a parenthesis stuck in there that John hears the rebuke there, that, and he says, whoa, wait a minute, Lord, Master, we got a problem, because when we saw those guys, we flipped out on them, so we didn't do what you just said we're supposed to do. Follow that? The little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he was cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off, for it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than to having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall ne never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, for it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Now notice, you got a neck hanging around the neck, okay? You got a hand, you got a foot, you got an eye. Now we're going to get all these details next time because I want to get down to about the fire and the salt here. By the way, notice in verse 43, it is better for thee to enter into life maimed. Verse 45, better for thee to enter halt into life. And then in verse 47, it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God. Eternal life and life eternal for Israel is connected to the kingdom. It's going into the kingdom of God. And that's critical because what eternal life is all about is knowing God, John 17 says, okay? And that's important. But now watch verse 49. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good. And if the salt hath lost its saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Now, there's an application in verse 49 and 50 here. The application of all, the end of verse 50, have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. They've been arguing, how do we have peace with ourselves? 
So there's an application of it here. Now, in verse 49, salt is defined for you. Salt is identified, it's interpreted for you as being fire. That's what it is. The, the, fire, the fire he just talked about, the fire that shall not be quenched. What does the fire do? Well, what does fire do? It destroys the impurities, okay, or it can purify the valuable things, the things that are going to last. So what's it going to do? It's got a twofold impact here. It's going to destroy the things that perish, purify the things that won't perish, the salt, salt does the same thing. It stops things from corrupting, and then it preserves their, the soundness of the thing. So salt in yourself. So now where are we? In the individual. Have salt in yourself, the end of verse 50. Take take. Fire is associated with judgment all through Scripture. Take the judgment, take the fire, take the thing that purify that has that purifying effect, and that needs you need to have that fire that judges you and that ju- that takes that sin that you have there that, that that improper thinking process and purifies it out. Now again, here he's talking to a believer. He's talking to the about the, the really the uniqueness of being a believer. Okay, your problem is is you've been listening to your flesh, and what you need to do is you need to get rid of that, and it's going to come down to you coming over here, and taking it and throwing it off into the garbage dump, because the word hell here is not Hades. It's Gehenna. And Gehenna, again, we'll see this next time, a little, or next couple of weeks. Not next week because we won't be here. But hell, Gehenna, that's a different, compart- different area within hell. And Gehenna is, you'll hear people call it the garbage, the garbage dump of the lost, of the dead. But Gehenna go, starts, it's a, it's a valley outside of Jerusalem, starts with Solomon. And Solomon set it up as a place to worship the god Moloch. So out there in Gehenna, they were offering sacrifices to Moloch. Now, Ahab did human sacrifices out there. Josiah, when he took over, he literally went out there and dumped the city garbage all over it. Okay? The refuge all over it. So it becomes a place of where they are dumping... On the, on the polluted places of Baal. That's, okay, Baal worship. And it's a picture of what Baal does to you, what sin does to you, where it leads you, and it leads you right out there to the garbage dump of the world. And what the Lord's doing here is, is you guys need to purify yourselves. You need to get that fleshly, thinking out of your out of the way 
And, you, and by the way, that's what will bring peace among one with another. Their problem with the arguing is that they're not thinking properly and they need to clean it up. The purifying effect here is what will clean up the frustration that they're having. They need to have, they need to, uh, to get rid of the flesh. They need to look at their ministry like they would look at it as a child. Do it that way. Not according to their own thinking, not according to their, their am I going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? You know, it's that thing about James and John, sitting on the right hand and the left hand of the Father. No, that's not the issue. But rather, they need to come along and they need to do the thing, uh, savor style the things of God. They need to go do that. They need to go give themselves to what God would have done. They need to fix that in order to have peace amongst themselves. Now, next time we get together, we'll talk about the fire. We'll talk about hell. We'll talk about Gehenna. Okay? But that's what's happening here. That's the flow of thought. He tells them, I'm going to Calvary. i got to be rejected. I'm going to Calvary. No, you're not, Lord. Ain't going to happen. He says, you're thinking wrong, guys. You're thinking wrong here. You're not thinking the way God would have you to think. By the way, here's what the glory is going to look like. Before that, here's the principle. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up the cross of rejection, and then you're going to come follow me. You're going to lose your life. You've got to be willing to do that. You've got to make that choice of faith to do that. Takes Peter, James, and John. They see him receive the glory. They come back down, find the nation, find the disciples in that unable to do because they're not staying up with the progressive revelation. They can't deliver Israel from captivity. Yet he does. The Lord comes in, delivers them. They say, why couldn't we do it? He says, because you ain't thinking right. You ain't getting it. You're not paying attention. They're on their way back to Capernaum. They see a, some things happen. They get to arguing amongst themselves. And he says, guys, you're, you're not thinking. You're thinking like men. Human viewpoint, you need to think like divine viewpoint. And you know what? Paul says the same thing to you and I today in the church, the body of Christ, in the dispensation of grace, that we are to think, we're to renew our minds, we're to be transformed, we're to have that certain thinking process. And we don't. We're over here worrying about who's who and what's what. And we know what happens. There's no peace. There's constant arguing, constant debating. And he says, look, you want to have peace, you've got to savor us the things of God, not the things of men. And again, we're not done with this section, but I'm done. <laughs> for tonight okay all right dear Holy father we thank you for the evening lord we thank you for the look here into the word and lord i just pray it be edifying to our hearts and cause us to check our own thinking and adjust our thinking to the things of god rather than the things of our flesh in your name we pray amen